Hello, hello. Welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It is so great to have you here. I appreciate you being back. I was out last week because I was at the Hollywood Climate Summit, which was a really fantastic experience, and I'm really excited to talk more about it. I've shared a little bit on social, and then I also have a whole bunch of recordings coming up that I did while I was there, but I'm excited to be back this week. We are answering one of my favorite, or dare I say attempting to answer, one of my favorite semi-philosophical questions as an environmentalist, as a regular human in society today, is plastic bad? Plastic definitely has a pretty bad reputation right now, I'll say it, especially in the environmental space. When we as environmentalists are advocating against plastics, we are typically referring to single-use plastics. But very often, this conversation around single-use plastics can expand into plastics as a whole, But we're getting into it today. I really enjoyed doing the research for this episode because while this is a conversation we have often, I feel like the history of plastic is something that we don't really know a whole lot about. So consider this a crash course in plastics. I'll also be sharing a lot of visuals to go along with this episode on social media. So on TikTok, on Instagram, wherever you want to find me, I will have all my social links down below. I feel like the photos are really important to give context to plastic over time, even though it's been in our lives for a very short period of time. Now, I want to start from the top. I really want us to set the scene here. When I say plastic, when most of the world says plastic, we're typically referring to polythene, which is also polyethylene. According to my best research, they are the same thing. I do want to note that there are different kinds of plastic. Not all plastics are polythene, but polythene is the most popular. And the word plastic originally just meant pliable and easily shaped. And now plastic just means any material made of polymers And if you haven't heard the word polymer in a while since Chem 101, since high school chemistry, a polymer is just a long chain of molecules. So a plastic is a material made out of polymers. We can infer from that then plastics are made in a lab setting. They are not a naturally occurring material in nature. Plastic is said to have been invented on accident in 1933 in England. A team of scientists in a chemical plant was working on a polymer experiment, and their experiment went wrong. They produced a waxy residue, a white residue, which was not the intended result of their experiment, and this turned out to be polyethylene, or again, now we know it as polythene. So it hasn't even been 100 years since we invented the very first plastics. I feel like that's a little bit crazy to think about. A lot has happened in a very short period of time with plastics, and now we have it in virtually every corner of our lives, but we'll get there in a minute. So this accidental invention of plastic happened in 1933, and then five years later in 1938, after a lot of experimentation in the chem lab, the first ever item made of polythene was created. It was said to be a walking stick, a cream-colored walking stick. That's what I found. And creating the first items out of plastic in 1938 was kind of perfect timing. Pretty quickly, the chemistry of plastics was able to be replicated at scale. This was right around the start of World War II. This was in Britain. There were now a lot of plants, commercial factory scale chemistry labs, essentially, that were producing large quantities of plastic, finally. And polythene was now being used as an insulating material during World War II. 
particularly I learned during long distance warfare. We're talking airplanes, we're talking submarines. Plastic was now in all of the wartime activities. I'm not a World War II, you know, buff or anything, so please don't come for me for that description. But essentially, the bottom line is that plastic became extremely, extremely valuable during World War II. After the war, this technology still existed and these chemical plants still existed, so polythene was starting to be produced commercially. And it's said that the first raw material made out of this early plastic was a hula hoop. And that's how we got a hula hoop craze in the 1950s. Today, plastic is basically in everything. Quick break to tell you about Cloud Health. I think learning about health insurance is one of those continuing education journeys that I just have not been able to get myself behind. It's really frustrating to figure out how everything works because I feel like it's always changing. Premiums are increasing, deductibles are getting higher, claims denials are becoming more and more common. And I feel like this is especially unfortunate because I really felt like I was getting behind my health. I was getting recommendations on doctors, I was going to specialists, I was following up, I was really doing all of those adult things that I've been meaning to do. And health insurance has left me confused and sometimes, honestly, I feel taken advantage of. Now, enter Crowd Health. Sometimes insurance companies will just not give you the time of day or the peace of mind that you need. CrowdHealth always does. That's why a $50 a month membership to CrowdHealth includes tools and services that you need to get the highest quality healthcare. You'll get access to telemedicine visits, discounted prescriptions, so much more without doctors' networks messing things up for you. Plus, you'll have access to your own personal care advocate, which will help you navigate the complexities of health events and even negotiate bills on your behalf. It is so nice to have someone supporting you along the way. And of course, you'll join the crowd, a group of members just like you who want to help pay for each other's unexpected medical events. It's time you opt out of restrictive health insurance plans and let Crowd Health help you fit your healthcare needs. Get started today for just $50 a month. Use code ECOCHIC to get the healthcare you deserve. Crowd Health is not insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. That's join crowdhealth.com code eco chic it will be in the show notes i love 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 the idea of the hula hoop being the first commercially available plastic product that is really cute to me but at the end of the day a hula hoop is a toy it is a novelty item it's not something that's necessarily impacting your life day to day so i want to talk a little bit about how plastic was introduced to the masses and really introduced to the home because again, before this, plastic was really used for hyper-industrial functions. It was used for war. It was used as insulation. It wasn't yet something that was touching the average American. Post-World War II, we're talking the 1950s, the early 1960s, America meets a man named Mr. Earl Tupper. Mr. Earl Tupper is a businessman. He's based in Massachusetts, and he has figured out a way to turn an industrial byproduct from World War II into an improved version of plastic. He's calling this poly-tea. Mr. Tupper took his improved plastic product, his poly-tea, and created containers for household uses. He created food containers, and this is what we know now as Tupperware. So it's a little bit funny, a little bit ironic to think that the creation of Tupperware was actually kind of like a reduce, reuse, recycle initiative on war plastic. 
Now, there were some plastic homeware items on the market, some containers, but they weren't really that great and they didn't have a lot of utility. So people didn't really like plastic containers, especially for their food. So during this period of the 1950s and 1960s, the Tupperware company came up with a really great business model where regular household women were selling Tupperware to their friends, to their neighbors, to their families. These women were educating the people around them how to use Tupperware, the value of an airtight container, and they became spokespeople for the Tupperware company. This is where we get the term Tupperware party. These women would quite literally host parties where they'd invite their neighbors and their friends and family to their homes. They'd show them the Tupperware and then women at the end of the night, because I'm assuming the women were the primary audience, would buy the Tupperware from whoever the host was. In retrospect, this sounds a little bit like an MLM or a precursor to selling Mary Kay cosmetics or something along those lines. But the Tupperware party was the first experience that a lot of women had to starting their own home businesses and creating income for themselves while they were still working from home in this housewife role. So interestingly enough, they were breaking stereotypes while they were also reinforcing it and really leaning into this product that kind of embodies housework and food and caretaking. So while the Tupperware party definitely popularized Tupperware and allowed this plastic product to become so, so common in the American household, the business model of Tupperware parties was definitely empowering at the time and a major supporter of the feminist movement to some extent. Now that we've talked a little bit about home items, let's recognize that these plastic home items really aimed to make life easier. They were high quality, they were durable, they were reusable. And now we're switching gears a little bit to talk about single-use plastic. I want to zoom in on the single-use plastic bag because based on my research, this seems to be the first product that we have that is really designated to be a disposable plastic item. Single-use plastic bags first became available in the U.S. in 1979. They really weren't that popular before this. Grocery stores and other stores were using just paper bags. And plastic bags just took a little while to catch on. In 1982, two of the nation's largest grocery chains, Safeway and Kroger chains, began offering single-use plastic bags to their customers. Now, these are major, major grocery chains that, of course, own a lot of other regional grocery chains. And as these companies have continued to grow, their stake in the market has simply continued to grow. So in 1982, let's acknowledge they weren't just offering plastic grocery bags at Safeway and Kroger stores, but also all of the local grocery stores that these larger chains owned throughout the country. Now, the adoption of single-use plastic bags was largely due to the petroleum lobbying group, but I am not getting into the politics of plastic on this particular episode. We're going to save that rabbit hole for another time. In 1997, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch was discovered. I'm sure we've all seen photos of this. It is at first unbelievable, at first it is shocking, and then it is very sobering to see photos of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. If you've never seen it, I highly encourage you take a look at what it looks like today but it was first discovered in 1997. And this is really when we heard the first significant rumblings advocating against single-use plastics. 1997 was not all that long ago, but I have to say, looking at these dates, I am surprised that we are still having this conversation around single-use plastics in our mainstream society. 
Now, if you're looking to cut single-use plastics, we typically are talking about avoiding items like plastic bags, straws, coffee cups, single-use utensils. The common denominator between all of these products is that these are items intended to be disposable. So it's not necessarily the plastic that we're advocating against, it is the disposability that is a larger issue here. I wanna zoom in a little bit and I wanna give an example. We talk a lot about plastic straws in the zeitgeist. It's not necessarily that straws are bad. I don't know a single person, honestly, that believes that a paper straw is a superior item in terms of its utility. The point of avoiding plastic straws or making plastic straws only available upon request is encouraging thoughtfulness. We're talking conscious consumption. The conscious consumption bit is important here because we've normalized plastics to a point where we generally are not even registering that we're accepting them into our lives. The plastic disposable item is just the norm and we're not even realizing that we're acquiring that plastic. Oh, but Laura, is it really that important that we avoid the plastic? We can just recycle them. No, plastic items are extremely difficult to recycle. It takes a lot of resources, water, and energy, and recycling plastics almost always produces an inferior plastic, so the quality is very severely compromised in the recycling process. Single-use items, like a single-use plastic bag, are often downcycled, which is like using a single-use plastic bag as a trash bag for your tiny bathroom trash can, or to wrap up your shoes in a suitcase. This is downcycling. You're briefly extending the life, but then that plastic bag is going to a landfill. Now, if a plastic is extremely thin, so like those water bottles labeled eco bottle, lower plastic, something along those lines, the recycling product can never again produce a structured plastic in that same way. So remember I mentioned that the plastic quality is really compromised. When the plastic is already thin to begin with, the recycling process will just produce little plastic beads. There are some commercial uses for these really low quality plastic items, but for the most part, anytime a plastic is getting recycled, you can only really expect maybe one more life, one more product out of that particular unit of plastic. Now I mentioned little plastic beads. I want to segue briefly into microplastics, which is a very hot word right now. We get microplastics as plastic products are broken down. So the plastic itself never goes away, it just gets smaller. You've heard perhaps that infamous statistic we eat about a credit card worth of plastic each week. This is referring to microplastics. Microplastics are everywhere. They're in our food, they're in our oceans, they're at the top of Mount Everest. There was breast milk in a study recently found to have trace amounts of microplastics. They're virtually unavoidable at this point in time. Honestly, it's pretty scary to think that this material that was created less than 100 years ago is absolutely everywhere on Earth. So in review, what does this mean about plastics in general with everything we've discussed today? Plastics are not necessarily bad. It's how we are currently using them, how we currently think of plastics as a society, that's what's bad. We went through some major historical points of plastic and we have to acknowledge that there's been a lot of innovation because of plastics. So for example, the medical industry is a perfect example of a space that has hugely, hugely benefited from the introduction of single-use plastics especially. And then even looking at plastic products, plastics that are intended to have longer lives, they've made materials and products so much cheaper and more attainable to the mass market. 
I would argue that plastics have made really important, positive impacts on American life as we know it. Single-use plastics, however, have left us with a massive, massive environmental problem that we are certainly not tackling with the sense of urgency that this environmental disaster deserves. Now, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? While there has been some really incredible legal action taken around single-use plastics in a lot of cities, we still have a lot to do, and there's still a lot that can be done on the federal level around single-use plastics, around microplastics, and of course, how we are eventually phasing out this material and replacing it with something a lot more eco-conscious. There's a lot of incredible innovation going on around plastic alternatives, items that are just as durable, just as reliable, but do not have that same environmental impact. Now for you, I really hope you don't leave this episode wanting to clear plastic from your life altogether. The most valuable thing you can do with your plastics currently is use them until their end of life. The most sustainable item is the item you already own. This is a line that I love that the environmental movement has attached itself to. No one should be shamed for using plastic they already own. What we're looking to do is think more consciously about the plastic that we are inviting into our lives in the future. And I will wrap us up there. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a lot of fun for me to put this episode together. I really enjoyed going through all of the research. And again, like I said, I will share on social media a whole bunch of photos and a little bit more of a visual timeline for us to follow along with the episode or if you'd like to refer back to it. I hope you learned something. I know that I did. And if you learned something from this episode, if you enjoyed it, I encourage you to share this episode with a friend, post it on your Instagram story, share it in the family group chat. And it really helps me out a lot if you can rate and review the show, whether you're on Apple or Spotify or Stitcher or iHeartRadio. And also make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode moving forward. Thank you again so, so much for tuning into today's episode of Eco Chic, and I will see you next week. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.